1: Today on CityCast Madison. It's Black History Month, but how do you find and learn your own history? Especially when records for Black families are not always easy to access. We didn't always get counted in the census or have property records to look up. And DNA tests can throw you real curveballs. Luckily, if you live in Madison, you've got one of the country's best centers for historical research, and it's right in your backyard. Meet Lori Bessler of the Wisconsin Historical Society. It's Tuesday, February 28th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Lori, hello. Hi. A lot of folks have caught the bug of wanting to know their family history, but for folks who haven't, why take this journey? Yeah, it's a very
0: personal journey, and it's a personal choice because of that. So, a lot of people, I've, I've worked at the Historical Society for over 30 years, and when I first started, I was noticing more, you know, people's reaction to the research. Now, it's just everybody's so excited about everything, but in the beginning, I would notice when people would come in and they'd pull up a roll of microfilm of a newspaper and they were winding through. And later I would look and they're crying because they're finding the newspaper article of, um, of the event of someone passing away in their family. And they are just so moved that they were able to find this. And it was a very personal thing. Others have come in saying, I'm doing a medical history. I have a sibling who is very, very ill. And we need to know what the previous generations had passed away from. And that's what, one of the things you can use death records for, is to find out how that what they passed away from, what were they suffering from. Other times, it's just that they want to connect to as many people as possible. And so they're filling out the charts. And they're not stopping to know very much about each person. They just want to know, I want to get up to 20,000 ancestors on my chart. <laughs> Like, yeah, but can you tell me much about your great-grandfather that you have on there or your (laughs) great-grandmother? I started my own genealogy almost 50 years ago when I was about 10 years old. And so my family's stories that mostly my dad had told me is what caught me. And so you have those people, too, who have been in the, the trenches doing that research for a very long time, and there's always something new to find which is what puts the smile on our face. There's always another angle to understand our ancestors.
1: And I feel like we have to talk about, you mentioned you've been working at the Historical Society for over 30 years. It is such a standout institution and I'm not sure everyone knows that. I have a, an Anne who lives in Nashville who comes here specifically to access it. So I feel like, can you talk a little bit about what why this is such a standout institution? Oh, definitely.
0: Right from the get-go, you know, we became a state in 1848. We had a state historical society in 1846, (laughs) two years before we were a state. We had a state historical society. Yeah. So right away, we had people who were dedicated to capturing local and national history. And that actually was international history at that point. Later, they changed it to be just United States and Canada. For a state historical society to have that kind of scope and maintain that scope well over 100 years is just amazing. You won't find that in the many states. Many states say, well, we cover just our own state. We cover all across the United States and Canada. One unique aspect of our archives, though, that is very unique from um, other states is that we have what are called area research centers. We take the local archival materials and we spread them across the state so that they're more accessible locally. So if I was doing a research project out of Langlade County, I would actually go to the UW-Stevens Point and use some of the materials that are at that area research center. Instead of having to have everybody come down to Madison to look at everything for the state, we've spread that out and that's very unique, very valued.
1: Yeah, that's uh, 100% the Wisconsin idea. So if I walked into the Historical Society today or called, what would be the first step in trying to find out my family history? Well, the first step
0: is walking up to the reference desk and asking to talk to one of us. So names, dates, and places are the clues that reference librarians really need. And so being able to know just a, you know, if you just knew the three dates, a birth, a marriage, and a death, or even just two dates, a birth and a death, then you could put a person into historical perspective by looking at the history around them, local history, national history, international history. And then because we're on the UW-Madison campus, we have access to databases and online resources that the UW pays for, and we
1: access. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a great place. And it's just a stunning structure. I'm obsessed with it. So I like the idea of just like walking in there. But it's Black History Month, and I'm thinking about it seems like there's been an uptick in folks interested in finding their genealogy. I mean, across the board, but certainly it's something I've looked into and for black Americans, there's, you know, an obvious snag in the mid 1800s around the civil war for finding some of that stuff out. So I wanted to hear specifically about what goes into finding your roots if you're black.
0: Right. Right. Um, Anybody of color Um, It is difficult because the paper trail is not always that thorough. And what you're mentioning as far as after the Civil War, the 1870 census is often known as the the brick wall that a lot of people of color will have to butt up against. But you never make assumptions, okay? So there are a lot of people of color who have ancestry who were not enslaved. So that's one point. Number two is if they do have proof that somebody had been enslaved, then there's strategies um, that it can be used. One of the reasons that there's an uptick in genealogical interest, ancestry interest, is that you have shows like Finding Your Roots with Dr. Gates on PBS. And then also shows, there's one, I was thinking about this the other day, Saturday mornings, I ran across one called Roots Less Traveled. And so you have these little shows coming up and these bigger shows, and they're constantly telling people, hey, we have to look past what we've been taught all these years and really open our minds to the fact that not everybody was enslaved, that it is possible to get through that brick wall. There are a lot of resources and strategies that we can then help people with to get get through and Uncover more stories. One of the strategies is to start with the current generations and go backward. And so when we started this
1: conversation, we said, what do you do? You start with what you know. Mm-hmm. So I know my like grandma and my grandpa, but I don't really know past that. And my grandpa, I do know that he was... Um, well, both of my grandpas, but my black grandpa served in World War II. What other kind of things like might be helpful? Because it sounds like really you're involved in finding the strategies for folks to discover. <laughs> right. And the strategies, you know, it's not like there's
0: strategy one through 10 and you start with one. You look at the person you're researching. So your grandfather, did he live to pass the war? Yes. Yes. So did you ha- Did he pass away now? Yes. And, and if he hadn't passed away, that'd be the first thing I'd say is go back to him and start talking to him. <laughs> but <laughs> since he has passed away, you start at the end of his life and look for his obituary that may have clues about the unit he fought for or under. Once you have a unit, you can try and find, now World War II is difficult because a lot of the actual military records, uh, that were created about each set separate soldier was destroyed in the 1970s. Yeah, you do run across wow. that in the paper trail. And so, again, focusing on that one person is what we usually do because the the place that it leads you to strategy-wise and resource-wise will shift. And so, once we identify, okay, well, he was born, what time period was he born? Probably 1920-something? yeah. So you think of the censuses he's been in, 1930 probably was the first census, then 1940 and 1950 is the last one we have accessible to us. Those three censuses I would look at, when he's in the 1930s, he's living with his parents probably, and now you have another generation back. And it tells you where that per- those people were born, and it tells you who his siblings were, and there's those kind, and their ages. So you can estimate, okay, well, his father was born in 1890 something. So he's in the 1900 census as a child. And hopefully he's living with his parents and you're back another generation. And so those censuses by themselves will help. It also depends on regionally where do they come from. Are they from Massachusetts? Are they from Nebraska? Are they from South Carolina? Where are they from? Because we have to narrow in on those local records
1: then after that point of using those federal censuses. And I'm thinking about, we were talking about Black Americans and Black Wisconsinites, and you were mentioning people of color, like there's also probably some paper trail issues for Indigenous Americans.
0: There definitely is problems with um, uh, trying to find the paper trail of groups who have been marginalized. And so in the indigenous research, um, you're working with a variety of different institutions. One is the federal government is documenting. The nations are documenting, whether it's oral history or written history, they're documenting as well. And so you have two institutions right away to contact. The Within the government, you have a local government, a state government, and a federal government that could have created a paper trail. Now, it's also how you look at the information on those documents. It's not like, you know, you look at a document and it's a completely true information on there. And so there's a very much a, a slant that you have to consider when you're looking at those documents that are talking about marginalized groups. And that's another thing that we can help people do as well. The journey is a lot deeper than you think it would be.
1: Yeah. And I I feel like you're an investigative journalist, (laughs) investigator, you know, and it's exciting though. It's so exciting. I I can't, I'm trying to keep it together, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I know something that's become super popular are DNA tests. Do people come to you with those? Yes, they do. And so you have, first I come to, the, the person comes to us and they say, I, I did my
0: testing. Where did you do it? Let's look at what results you have. And there's really two perspectives or two angles that you use with DNA testing. One is it tells you an ethnicity estimate. That is never concrete. And I I really have a problem with it because it tends to try to put people into silos, certain categories of people. And it's just not true. The culture is not something that can be explained through DNA. Our culture is very different from that. And that culture means more to me Than the the bloodlines. What is very helpful with DNA testing, and especially when you're dealing with unknown parentage, such as adoption cases, is that when they connect you with other people who have done DNA testing, then that is pretty solid. When they say this person over here that did DNA testing on your same site is a second cousin to you, they pretty much probably are a second cousin to you. And so, if you don't know that previous two generations back, that person over there may know how you connect. The matches are the most important part of the DNA testing that's happening out there, for family historians at least. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Talk about the librarians that are on staff there, the folks that are there to help. Once you get into this institution,
0: not many of us leave this institution until retirement. And so we have people who have been here over 30 years who know this collection, but also know collections around the world. And so we're able to say, okay, we don't have this material, but the Midcontinent Library over in Independence, Missouri I believe, has what you're looking for. Let's see how we can connect with them and get that material. One other thing we do is we have workshops every fall and every spring, and we bring in nationally known speakers to give full-day workshops on a variety of topics, anywhere from DNA to African-American genealogy um, to Norwegian to German to Irish to all of those different groups where we have concentrated
1: groups within Wisconsin. You had mentioned that you have found some stuff on your own family tied to Madison, right? Yes. I have a
0: great-great-grandfather who was in the Civil War with his two brothers, and they all uh, did their training at Camp Randall. And so when I come downtown or I go to that part of town where Camp Randall is, I can just put my my head into that era of 1861, October, I believe is when they had enlisted, and just picture them at this area. And it's my great, great grandfather, you know? And then my grandmother, who I never did get to know because she passed away from cancer before I was born, she went to this campus and got a degree here in 1925. This library I work at is where she would have studied. It was the only library on campus at that time. And so having that connection to the local um, buildings and the local areas that your ancestors walked in, uh, that's a fabulous part of the journey. It's a great way.
1: I have to say, like, I share that with you, how special... Walking around campus is because I found out that I also have, I don't know if it's a great, great, great grandfather who was, you know, at Camp Randall training. And I also have a great. It's probably great 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 great. <laughs> but a great great grandfather who was at UW and he was the pitcher for a baseball team. The other aspect of that we have in our in
0: one branch of the family is political history. And so that great great grandfather who had been involved in the Civil War, he also was a state senator in 1912. And so when they actually voted to ratify the 19th Amendment, He was just in Madison to to observe the ratifying of it for the state of Wisconsin. And they said, hey, D.G. James, would you please take the paperwork to D.C. to make Wisconsin the first to ratify the 19th Amendment? That's my great-great-grandfather. So it's it's fabulous to have that kind of connection. And I'll tell you, a lot of people feel like, well, yeah, but there's not going to be that kind of big story in my family. I will challenge you. I will definitely challenge you to look into it and see how your family did make a difference locally, statewide, nationally, internationally, it doesn't matter. They made a difference and it's important for us to know how and why. That is so cool. It's also that our families are not one-sided. They're not all just one story. There's a bazillion stories throughout our family tree. You go back and those branches go way out. And so, we had the suffragettes. We had people who enslaved. We also had branches that were part of the Underground Railroad, the abolitionist movement. We have people who worked on the Panama Canal. We had people who stayed home and raised 12 children. <laughs> people who were big in their religious institutions. There's so many branches of the family that come that you come from that had an effect on where you live, what you do how you feel about things. It's not all, it doesn't totally define us, but it is a factor in there. That's what we kind of help you do is to say, okay, let's look at that one angle of this really traumatic situation, but let's look at these other situations that did come as well and help you find the good along with the
1: traumatic. People can reach out and talk to you one-on-one, right? Yes, I do free consultations, free. I will meet with you
0: (laughs) online or in person or by phone and talk about your specific research project. And it doesn't have to be just family history. It could be local history. It could be different projects of any sort, historical projects, of course. And so I meet with people. I talk to them about, okay, who do you wanna know more about? What do you know now about them? Let's look at this. Had you thought about this angle of their life? Maybe you want to use this resource for sorting what you already have. Here's what you put down on a pedigree chart. This is what a family group sheet is. And then in June, I actually have a full day workshop that I'll be speaking on organizing, analyzing, and writing your family history. Because of course, the journey is part of it is just uncovering all this stuff and writing your charts and everything. But you want to think about what's the end picture here. After all of that work, what will happen to your research? And I talked to you about that in that all-day workshop. In Madison, we have so many research institutions. We're so lucky this way. We have the Wisconsin Historical Society. We have the Veterans Museum that works a lot with military records, especially for Wisconsin. And then we also have the Norwegian American Genealogical Center and Nasith Library. That has to do with Norwegian. The Mox Institute on the UW campus here for German-American studies. There's just so many options.
1: Yes, and now I think you might be getting some more calls. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. It's not a problem at all. I, I look forward to helping more people research their family history. That's Lori Bessler, reference librarian at the Wisconsin Historical Society. If you're interested in getting in touch or checking out any of their monthly webinars, we'll link to their site in our show notes. And here's what else Madison's talking about. The Madison public market is one step closer to being a real boy. The market at First Street and East Wash has been years in the making, and they just secured the funding they needed to start construction. The plan is to be a year-round indoor market that features local food and art, and an opportunity to support small and minority businesses. They also want to offer food carts and small catering companies access to a commercial kitchen. And despite the odds, East High School held its student-led drag show last Friday night, the 24th, and nearly 200 people turned out. And I heard, the performers turned out too. This is after the event was canceled over a month ago due to safety concerns and online criticism. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell your dad and your second cousin once removed about us? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Talk soon. Madison's going to be a real boy. Thank you for keeping that.